Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, we have Bibles there in the pew, and you can uh, find Romans 12 on page 948. I want to encourage you to uh, either be looking in that pew Bible or your own, because there's this passage is so packed uh, with so many phrases that uh, it'll be helpful if you can follow along in that way. While you're turning, uh, I, I'll, I will answer your questions. Uh, I had a good vacation. I was gone last week. Uh, we were uh, at Oak Island, uh, North Carolina, and our, uh, our four children and their spouses and all our grandchildren and my mother-in-law, we were all there and just had uh, a great week. Uh, last week, I uh, worshiped in a Evangelical Presbyterian Church, uh, had a very nice worship service there, but I missed being here with, uh, with our folks. And <clears throat> frankly, um, after this week, I'm, I'm a little bit tired um, and looking forward to getting back to, you know, because that's like every day, and I'm looking forward to getting back to my one-day-a-week job here, so... <laughs> Good to be back. Before I read today's text, um, I want to read the context because this is so key, and I, I know that was uh, done last week as well with uh, the message that Mark preached. And the reason is because the text today is really an application of the beginning of this chapter. So here is the context uh, in Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, that's the context, but, but, but here's the point, and here's why we've got to start with that even before we, we read, beginning down in, in verse 9. Uh, th that section talks about love to others. Now, we are entering into what some would call the the wedding season, and this passage that I'm going to read could actually some non-believer, a non-Christian, could say, well, I want that passage read. It talks all about love, and, and that would be real good because I want to encourage everyone to uh, love each other. The problem is, if it's used that way, just as an encouragement for anybody in, in the whole world to do that, it just simply won't work. It won't last. It can't. No one has the energy to love the way this passage calls us to love. No one has the internal energy or, or fortitude 
to be able to do that. And so a lot of those phrases have just become like cliches on a Hallmark card or something like that. Just an encouragement, just, yeah, just everybody love each other. And all we got to do is look around in our world and we see, you know, that's, that's not really working. Just that kind of encouragement. Now here's why. When what Paul is describing here is what the love of a transformed mind, the love of a mind that's not conformed to this world, one that has been transformed by the power of God's Holy Spirit, that's what he's describing here. It is not natural, it is supernatural, and it's based on the mercies of God, as I read earlier, which is grace. It's not based upon our own inner strength. So here's what I have to say right up front. If, if you're uh, here and you're not a believer, first of all, I'm delighted you're here. And I want you to, to listen closely to this. But understand that what I'm going to talk about today is only possible for those who have first received his love. And if you haven't received that by way of a personal relationship with Christ, you can't pass this on. Now, you can, you can try, and I'm not saying nobody outside of Christ ever loves anyone else. Of course they do. But this is a whole different level, a whole different way because it is transformed and nonconformed to this world. This, is, this isn't the love that our world would talk about. So let's read this beginning with verse 9 of Romans 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Now, Lord, we would ask that you would calm our minds and give us ears to hear you, not just some preacher, but to hear from you. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher today. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, this is one of those passages that, uh, because there are so many points in there, uh, it would be uh, almost impossible to outline and, and in a good way other than basically writing down every verse. So, but I have, uh, that, that doesn't deter me, though, so I have artificially plopped an outline on top of this uh, that doesn't completely fit where um, we see his uh, love that he calls us for, first of all, on the inside with other, other believer, believers in the first part. So for the, the transformed mind, the living sacrifice, the nonconformist to our world, the very first thing he says is this, and this actually may be the hardest. Let, verse 9, let love be genuine. Now this is the first place in this uh, entire letter to the Romans uh, where the Greek word for love is referring uh, to God's love being shown through us. Every place up until now, it is God's love being shown to us. So remember, that's what I just said in setting this up, that that's got to be the first part. All the theology in Romans uh, 1 through 11 talked about his love being shown to us. And so that now is stipulated it's saying, okay, for you who have received all of this love, here is the outcome. Here's what it must look like. And the first thing he says is, it's got to be genuine. Now, the word here, and, and the reason I say the Greek word is because many people are... Uh, uh, familiar with it. It's, it's the word agape. Let me uh, tell you, uh, G. Campbell Morgan, a commentator, puts it this way. And he's making a distinction here. Agape is different from all other loves in this. In agape love, A loves B not because of anything in B. In agape, a loves B because of what is in A. Make sense? You get it? So other kinds of love, and, and 
the way our, our world teaches it is, you know, I love you because of there's, there's something in you that makes me love you. And that's not evil. That's not sin. But here he's talking about a whole different, different kind of love. And so the love that God has shown toward us is not because of, there was something good in us that made him love us or want to love us. It was because of what was in him. So now, when we show love to others, we can't base it on because they're lovely or lovable, but it's because of what is now in us, and that is Christ in us, our union with Christ. So that's why that is so key And it must be there if love is ever to be expressed the way he puts it here. Sincere, the word means not superficial, without hypocrisy, without a mask, literally. Not fake. It needs to be consistent with who you claim to be in Christ. I read a great story uh, about a police officer pulling uh, a driver aside, asked for his license and registration. What's wrong, officer? Driver said. I didn't go through any red lights and certainly wasn't speeding. No, you, you weren't, said the officer. But I saw you waving your fist at, uh, as you swerved around that lady that was driving too slow. And I, I saw you when that Hummer cut you off uh, uh, cursing at him. And then I saw you when the, when the red light came on and you didn't get through it. I saw you pound your steering wheel. Well, is that a crime officer? No, but when I saw the bumper sticker, Jesus loves you and so do I, I figured the car had to be stolen Now, here's the truth, and, and maybe the sad part. That's why I don't have any bumper stickers on my car. <laughs> the better way would be to be able to have a bumper sticker on there and never be ashamed of uh, how you might act. And that's the idea, being consistent with who you are. I was at General Assembly uh, well, it, a number of years back now, it was in California, and they had it like uh, instead of now it's a Tuesday through Friday, they had over a weekend because they thought people would bring their families and maybe go to the parks and things like that. So uh, I was going to church on that Sunday during General Assembly, and uh, I went into a church, some of you are going to know which church this is, and the, the preacher said this. He said, now, I want you to turn to each other, turn to the person next to you, and say, God loves you and so do I. Now, all of a sudden, I had this moral crisis. Uh, 
the, do I do it because he told me to and the service is on TV? Even though I can't say that sincerely? Or do I qualify it and make it sincere? God loves you. And if I'm going to be perfectly honest, I don't really know you. And by the looks of you, I'm not sure I'd love you if I did know you. (laughs) Even though I should want to love you. See, now, I I could have said that. I don't don't even remember. You don't ask me what I did because I can't even remember. But I remember, I I always rebel when preachers make me turn and do something or (laughs) raise something or anything like that. So I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I didn't do it. <laughs> do you see how worn out those phrases can become, though? Is that, do, you, do we really think that, and I'm not just picking on that church, I'm, I'm picking on all of us. Do we really think that those kind of cliches are what, Paul was talking about here? I don't. Because he goes on to explain it. Uh, And the love he calls for is not meaningless. Paul describes this transformed, non-conforming to the world love. And he starts out by saying simply, it must not be hypocritical. And by the way, that in and of itself is going to distinguish it from the love that's conformed to this world. Because so much of the love that this world teaches is based on whether you've earned it or not, whether you have deserved it or not, whether you are lovely or lovable. And that's not the case here. So he goes on and he says, Abhor what is evil. So Paul is basically saying, like it said in the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for hate. Hate what is evil. And that's the time for it. You will do what you love and you must flee from what you hate if you were to love like this. Hold fast to what is good. Cling to it. We won't grasp the good unless we hate well when there is evil. This is the same word uh, that Jesus used with marriage. Leave your father and mother and cling to your wife. Cleave to your wife. Hold fast to what is good. And let uh, love one another with brotherly affection. What Paul is saying is that, that we should love those in the body of Christ like we love our family or like we should love our family. In fact, the definition of the family is expanded. And he's saying, this is your family. You need to love them like you love those who share your blood. One commentator 
said, love the brethren in the faith as though they were brethren in blood. So he uses this family word. And then he says, outdo one another in showing honor. Look at Christ's love for you, if you're wondering, how can that be? Is there any way he could have honored us more? Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He literally gave it all for those who not only didn't love him, but those he gave his life for were his enemies. That's what we were before he set his affection upon us. Prefer one another over yourself. Now that's going to be a blow to our pride. You can't be prideful when you're genuinely uh, rejoicing when others are honored. Verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So here again, he's saying this is the outworking of this love. That when you serve others, it, sometimes it's going to be hard to serve others if you're looking at them and saying, well, they don't deserve to be served. Well, of course they don't. Some of them. His answer is, wait a minute, serve the Lord by serving others. Does he deserve to be served? Absolutely. And so he's calling us to that kind of not conformed to this world love. Rejoice, verse 12, in hope. Not in our circumstances, because sometimes our circumstances are trouble. So Paul says, be patient in tribulation, be patient in troubles. Again, think of Christ. All he went through, all he had to go through for us. Think about this. Jesus never once on this earth spoke to anyone who fully understood what he was saying. But he continued on. And he loved. And that's what he showed us. Be constant in prayer. Again, that's going to show love. If you're continually praying for other people. And sometimes those you find the hardest to love, that's the door to that love is praying for them. It gets harder and harder not to love them if you sincerely pray for them. Contribute. Verse 13, to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, I think this is the kind of thing that's going to start happening when this kind of love is shown. The idea of hospitality here, it, the, the word means be a stranger lover. So, Paul goes farther than 
just saying it's the decent thing to do. He says, seek to show hospitality. But in order to do that, here's what makes it different than the world's hospitality. And that is, this word implies we're seeking after them. Uh, Two things. Jesus, over in Luke 14, verse 12, says it this way. He said to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Now, he wasn't saying never invite people you know and like, (laughs) but he was saying don't, don't stop there. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you. And so we, we as a church need to be doing that, uh, ministering to those in our community, as it were, showing them hospitality, whether they will ever become members here or not, whether they will ever contribute to our church or not. That's not the point for it to be true hospitality. It says those who cannot repay you for You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When I was in seminary, I, I did a paper. It's a long time ago, but I, I still remembered this study on the, the uh, Benedictine uh, order of monks. Isn't that odd? It's rather odd to choose that, but it was in church history, and I, I just found it uh, interesting. And uh, those monks had what they called the Benedictine Rule. Uh, we, just, we watched Les Mis again this week, and I, uh, it, it makes me wonder whether the priest in there that was so merciful, whether he actually was that kind of a, a monk. But, but here is uh, the rule were basically the rules that they lived by. But it required this, that monks provide hospitality to clerics, pilgrims, and the poor, because of Christ's identification with the stranger in Matthew 25. As Benedict writes, all guests who present themselves are to be welcomed as Christ, for he himself will one day say, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. That's the kind of radical hospitality that separates the love of believers and the believing community from the, the rest of the community. I'd simply ask you if you've ever welcomed the stranger in your home. Paul is saying if you have a home, it, it's, it's not to be a museum, a showpiece. It's an opportunity to show love. In our day and age, that's not natural. That's kingdom work. So then he kind of transitions, and, and not totally, but this next part is, is more, in my outline at least, love on the outside, uh, beginning with verse 14. And he, he ratchets it up for, from uh, those who tend to be your friends to those who are not only not your friends, but want ill for you. And he says, okay, you find it hard to, to love those who are in our own community? 
Well, let me give you an impossible task. And that is, this is a love that you must show. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Where do we see that? Jesus on the cross. Those that were cursing him, he he refused to curse them back. He could have. He could have wiped them out. But instead, he said, Father, forgive them. That's the blessing. It is so radical, it is impossible for us to consider. Not only do we receive the persecution, but instead we bless those who do it to us. And that's how he treated us. Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. I was hostile to him. And what was his response? Ephesians 1, 3. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so if you're a child of the living God, because you trust in Christ alone for your eternal life, you were once hostile to God, and he blessed you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Now, this is one of those that doesn't fit the outline perfectly. Uh, it may not be just for those outside the church, although I, it, I think it, it also could be for believers inside the church or for others. But if, we've, if we have a transformed Christ in us love, when others rejoice, we will rejoice with them. The non-transformed, the non-renewed mind will, when others are rejoicing, will become jealous of them, will covet whatever they have and, and be upset that I'm not getting the honor that they are getting. Why don't I have the joy that they have? And Paul says, not so with the believer. It needs to be different. With real believers, there is a connection with that agape love, not because of what's in you, but because of what's in us that enables us to rejoice and to be sad with others because we have been so drawn together by that love, we are connected. That's when love is sincere. And the world, they cannot help but see a difference when believers love that way. Then he says, verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And then again, he fleshes that out in this next section, uh, how we are to love even when we're wronged. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So let's, let's work backwards. Live peaceably with all. So far as it depends on you. 
you cannot make other people live at peace with you. But you can be at peace in your heart even when they don't want you to be. And that is what distinguishes a Christ follower. Repay no one evil for evil. By the way, if you, if you do repay evil for evil, then you've just become that. You are now evil. Because that's what evil does. It repays with that which has come toward it. And again, back to Jesus' love. Jesus on the cross. He repaid the most evil acts by taking on the suffering that even those evildoers deserved. And he didn't repay it. He took it on himself. He refused to call vengeance on them. Now that brings us to what we can do. Verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, let's think about this for, for a second. In terms of vengeance. If we stop and think about it, do any of us really think that we are so righteous that we should be the ones to determine what kind of vengeance should be on somebody else when they've done something wrong? If so, if you really think that, then I doubt that you've really met Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so here, he's saying, look, you aren't the one to put vengeance on others. That's God's job, and you aren't God. And then he pushes out one more statement that shows us how the way of the kingdom, the ways of the kingdom are the opposite of the ways of this world we live in and that we are not to be conformed to. He says, verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. So, so it, it's so far the opposite. Instead of putting vengeance on them, are they hungry? Feed them. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, I got to tell you, there's been a lot of ink spilt over that last phrase of people's opinions. And, uh, you know, it's all over the board here. Some will see this, okay, so heat burning coals on his head. All righty then. I can treat my enemy good for a little bit, but, you know, only if it's going to make him ultimately suffer more. I can go for that what it looks like it's, it's saying. But let me ask you this. Do you, can you hear Jesus saying that? Or Paul with this other context that we have? 
So that, that can't be it. That cannot be the motive. Yeah, I'll make them suffer more, so I'll be good to them. I'm going to go with Charles Hodge on this one, who believed it meant that doing good to one's enemy is the best means of subduing him or winning him over. Here's what he said. To heap coals of fire on anyone is a punishment that no one can bear. In other words, it'll break them down. He must yield to it. Kindness is no less effectual. The most malignant enemy cannot always withstand it. The true and Christian method, therefore, to subdue an enemy is to overcome evil with good. So, we treat them with the good that they don't deserve. And if they are ever going to be broken down and cry out for God's mercy, it will be because of that. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Hodge again, nothing is so powerful as goodness. Men whose minds can withstand argument, whose hearts rebel against threats, are not proof against the persuasive influence of unfeigned love. So a sincere love toward them, they, they cannot stand up against that. How do we know? 1 Peter 2, verse 23. When he was reviled, Jesus, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body, in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So who is God calling you to love? Who in our church? Who in your neighborhood? Who in your family? Who is that person or persons or group that God has brought to your mind today? Jesse Jackson tells the story of a visit to the University of uh, Southern Mississippi. While he was touring the, the campus with the university president, he noticed a, a towering male student, six feet eight inches tall, holding hands with a co-ed, barely three feet tall. His curiosity was piqued. Jackson asked the, the president of that university as they continued to watch. This young man was dressed in a, a warm-up suit. He tenderly picked up the girl, kissed her on the cheek, and sent her off to class. The president explained Oh, that's his sister. And that student is uh, 
our star basketball player. Both of their parents had died in his youth, but he made a vow to look after his sister. He had a lot of scholarship offers all over the country, but there was only one university that offered a scholarship not only to him, but to his sister, the University of Southern Mississippi. And so they went there. Jackson went over to the basketball star. He introduced himself. And he he said he appreciated him looking out for his sister. The athlete shrugged and said, those of us who God makes six foot eight have to look out for those he makes three foot three. If you are a child of the living God, you have all the advantages in the universe. You have been richly blessed. The right response is to love others as you have been loved. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord, for those blessings that we could have never deserved, for your love that you poured out upon us. And will you help us even now not to resist loving those you've put in our minds and our hearts, those you put in our way this week, never to be haughty but to associate with those that this world would see as lower than us. Lord, help us in that by your grace because of Christ in us. We pray, amen.